I hope that as we're together today, our utmost desire was to come to draw closer to the heart of God, to learn more of him. If that's not our heart, then maybe we're not at the place we should be. Because we should always be there to grow deeper and go deeper in the love of Jesus. I was richly blessed by the uh, devotional, the things that have been shared, the song service. I think it was an inspiration to me. Um, I had to think when it was shared about the three men there in Daniel. Just some of my own thoughts. You know, we could, uh, in, in our own in our own realm today, it does not good to have. It doesn't feel good to have confrontations. And sometimes it's easier to just simply be quiet or to just follow the rituals of all the rest and just follow along versus standing out for what we know is truth. What would have happened if these three men would have said, hmm, well, who will know the difference? I can just kneel with all the rest, but instead of praying to the idol over here, I'll pray to my God. Who knows the difference? There would have been no confrontation. Nobody would have known anything. But by being bold for truth and standing out for what they knew was right, God was glorified. And in the end, people saw who the true God really was. That's amazing. The boldness of these three men. They could have refrained from that. Just sort of drop back and stay in the shadows, just not be out and bold. Are we bold for what we know is truth? Or are we maybe of those that sort of draw back, not quite willing to let our light shine out? It's maybe hid under a bushel. Just a thought. The second thought I had about Joseph and the trials that he went through, I appreciated what was brought out, and I always love that. It's one of my favorite parts about Joseph there is his forgiveness to his brothers. He said, God meant it for good. They thought evil, but God meant it for good. And how often when we go through life's journey, and I trust that as we're here, we're all on a pilgrimage, right? We're all on a journey. As we go through life, and I hope we all do, we feel that need for growth. We feel that need for growth. And there's a song that we used to sing. I don't know it's in these hymnals here, but there's a song that we used to sing, and it said, I ask the Lord that I might grow. In truth and in peace and more than knowledge of God and all that, I don't, I don't recall the words. But it says, but instead of this, it seemed that the Lord increased my woes. And then I faltering, faltering cried and I said, Lord, why this? 
And God replied and said, my dear child, it's through this way that I promote growth. It draws you closer to me. As I pondered that, in the past, I came to realize more and more, though it goes against the flesh, in James we read it this way, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be entire, perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And as we ponder that and we consider that, even in the life of Joseph, what was shared, we see that Joseph came out more perfect than he was before. So much for my rambling thoughts. You probably wonder who we are, who we are, this strange family from North Carolina. I'm Eli, my wife, Ruth. We've got, we've been married 25 years. We've got 13 children. God has blessed us richly. Our oldest son had an invitation to go to Leonard's church, Leonard Martin's church. So he wanted to go over there. He had his own vehicle, so he went over there. But the rest of us are here. And we're here in hopes that we can be encouraged and encourage others too. We were here for the wedding yesterday. and um, Yeah, our life has been a journey. I grew up in, in a circle of the Old Order Amish. And from the Old Order Circle, we went to a New Order Circle because we were told they have reformed from the Old Order Circle. And it was at the New Order Circle that I was converted. And it went to the age of 35 before I knew the Lord. When I first knew the Lord, it was so wonderful and it was so special to find forgiveness in my life. Because my life was a miserable wreck. When I found that forgiveness in Christ, it was so precious. I went and told my wife Ruth, I said, if there was ever a time in my life that I wished to be with the Lord, I, I, I wonder why God had still let me just be here. Because I said, I just wanted to go be, be with Jesus. That was the desire of my heart. I said I felt so close to the heart of God. It was very precious. To find forgiveness. To find release from the bondage that we were in. As growing up in the circle where we had been as growing up. It was very little taught about the new birth. And so we placed, I knew my life was miserable. And I knew I was not ready to meet Jesus. My wife said, yeah, she said, I've, I'm ready to meet Jesus. She thinks she is. She said, I'm right with the Lord. And I said, are you really? We've discussed enough things. I wonder. So one day, the deacon stood up and he shared with the youth that were preparing for baptism and he said, I just want to share with you all that if you're baptized and you think baptism's going to save you, you are sorely disappointed. Baptism will not save you. 
It's the blood of Jesus. Finding forgiveness of sins. Baptism is not what saves us in itself. My wife said she wished the floor would have opened up and just swallowed her right there. It knocked out everything she had because that's where she depended on for her salvation. She was baptized in the Old Order Amish Church. She thought she was a faithful member and that's her salvation. That's all we knew. I'm not here to knock the Old Order Amish Circle. I'm just here to say if we have not entered in through the gate into the kingdom of heaven then let's do that today. Harden not your hearts. I'm here to be an encouragement to you because I believe the time is short and I believe we're seeing a lot of these things are coming today because of the times that we're in. I think Jesus will return soon. So he says, Today if you'll hear my voice, harden not your hearts as it did in the provocation, but hear God's voice when he calls. At any rate, We were converted. I asked to be baptized upon my confession of faith, and that's when we had to leave because they did not tolerate us at that point. I said I had never had a baptism. They said, well, when you were still with the Amish church and you were baptized, your parents had taught you about Christ, didn't they? I said, they did. And I'm glad for what they taught me. They said, well, your parents have taught you about Jesus. You grew up knowing Jesus You sort of grew into this thing. And so when you were baptized, didn't you know about Jesus? I said, yes, I did. But there is a difference about knowing of Jesus or having Jesus reality in your life. I said, this has been like a storybook to me. Jesus was like a story. So when you read a true story that you know is written and has been true, this is a true happening you believe the story is true, right? We all do. If this, this story is true, I believe it. But is that story a part of your life? That's where I was at. That's the point of believing Jesus came and he died on the cross. I, I knew that. That's a true story. But that that was reality in my life was not there. So how do we come to the place that we just from baby up, we grow up, we, we come into this and... Now we're saved. We're baptized. We're saved. And I thought about that. And I went home and I prayed about it. That night I woke up with a start. And just, it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And I woke up. and It was just like God was speaking to me. He said, unless a corn of wheat falls in the ground and die, there will be no fruit. It will have to die. So when, was this, when did this dying take place? When I just grew up as a baby and I grew up into this, there was no dying to self. Jesus said to take up the cross and follow him. And in Rome, when you took up the cross, it meant death to self-life. You said goodbye to your friends if it was possible, because the cross meant death. And it still does. Taking up that cross of Jesus is... Self is no more. Self has to die. Our strength, our source of... Strength and power comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not me. If we want to be resurrected with Christ, then we also have to die with Christ. There took a death before there was a resurrection. That's when we left the Amish. 
And then we were baptized upon our confession of faith. And there's been a rugged path since that. Ups and downs. And as we grow, Christ is there. God is there to continue to chasten us and draw us. And and I marvel at God's love as he keeps on drawing us and seeking to draw us closer to him. It's the marvelous love of God. So that gives you a little bit of a history of our life. Our children here, we've got a number of them that have found peace with God, deliverance from bondage of sin and death. And that is very good. But I just want to tell you this. It's not, salvation is not to those that made a beginning. It's those that remain in the steadfastness of our Lord Jesus Christ. We remain in that we walk in that. It's part of our life. It's our it's a whole life. It's not just a part of it. It's all of our life is centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. We continue in that. We remain steadfast into the end. There's where the promise is. Not in the beginning. Not in the middle of our journey, but in an ending where Christ was still the head of our life. When our journey ended. So this morning... My thoughts were that I would just like to encourage you all this morning in the life of prayer. I was thinking about prayer and the significance of prayer. And in the past, I have been doing a study on that. And I was amazed at what I have found and what I feel is a lack in our lives today. One of the greatest lack that I see amongst many of our churches today is the fervency of prayer, interceding for another, one another. I see that as lack in my life. And it just seems like we come away from that. But I would just desire, maybe even before we go further, maybe we just bow our heads and have a moment of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful, Lord, For the love that you gave us. Your only begotten son. That died for our sins. To set us free. Father. The blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. And all unrighteousness. And father you have called us into a holy life. A pure life. A life of companionship with God a life that you want to be the center of our life you want to dwell in our hearts Lord Father we just ask that that would be possible today that we would be encouraged to open up our hearts and if there's anything in our hearts Lord that hinders the light to shine in that you would be there to draw us Lord and to continue to draw us to to repentance And to where we open up our hearts to where that light can shine in. Because where the light shines in, darkness will have to flee. Thank you, Lord. You have promised us that. Father, we ask that you would guide my lips today. That as I speak, that we could bring encouragement. And strengthen the hearts of those that believe. And to draw those that have not yet found you, Lord. That they could be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, dear Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, 
as we talk about prayer and, and the life of prayer, I think we're all familiar with prayer. We all know how to pray, don't we? I hope we were taught that as we were growing up to pray. Do we know what what true genuine prayer and what that is? Well, we may think, well, if we think about prayer, we may think that, well, I am in deep need, then I pray to God, right? If I come into circumstances that I don't know how to go further, I bring that to the Lord, right? There's many areas that we all once realized we've got a Heavenly Father we can come to, we can ask. That is good. That is good. In the Hebrew or scriptural terms, it states that the prayer is an intercession and supplication for another, praying for another, communicating with God. That's what the Hebrew scriptural term was. But then in Greek term, it's a little bit different. In the Greek, it's got three different parts of this. And it says that the one part of it was that it gives expression of personal need. The other part was an element of devotion to God. And the third part says it this way, it represents, prayer actually represents a childlike confidence as the heart converses and communicates with God. Who can tell me in here when man first began to call in the name of the Lord? When did that happen? Does anybody know? We read it. I think it's Genesis 4. It talks about Seth. When Seth was born to Adam, it says, Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. And I've wondered, these are just thoughts, but I've wondered, so what was before that? What happened before that? Did God, it seems like when God came into the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, God came into the garden and he found man and he talked with man. When Cain's offering was not acceptable in God, God came to Cain and told him. But when Seth came, it says that men began to call upon the name of the Lord. They began crying out. These are just thoughts. I haven't thought all that through yet. So it's interesting. So, And, and if we talk about prayer, there's a certain part of prayer that is very meaningful and and that part of prayer is what is often missed. And I've seen a lack in my own life. It's a, it's a thought which is often missed. A fervent, genuine prayer is when our mind and our heart is actively... And intensely engaged with our prayer. So when I think about that, I think about my own life. And, and I saw in my own life where as we pray, have we really connected? Has our spirit really connected with God? 
that as we're praying, that we're in fervent prayer, our mind and our heart is intensely active with our prayer, our communications to God. That's fervent, genuine prayer. How many times have you found, as I have, I am assuming that you probably found it same as I do. We kneel down to prayer. We have this form of maybe a morning devotion, evening devotion, or, you know, as family time. We may even have our special prayer closet, place where we just have private prayer. But so often when we kneel down to pray, Satan brings distractions into your mind. As you pray, your mind might wander down the road to your work, to your workplace, something that's been going on there. Or it may wander just here and there, things through the day, things that have happened around. Just You're actually trying to pray and your thoughts are not with the prayer that's being said. Has that ever happened? It has for me. And I realized the disciples said to Jesus in Luke chapter 11, I think it was, said, Lord, teach us to pray. And as I thought about that, it seems to me like we often imply that teach us how to pray. But it says teach us to pray. That's what it says. Do we have this mind of fervent prayer? The object that we are praying about is grasp in all vigor of thought and feeling. That's what intense active prayer is. It's grasp in all its vigor of thought and feeling. And then it states in Romans chapter 8 and it says, And the Spirit even helps our weakness. It gives us a deeper sense of our spiritual need and a clearer clear view of the fullness and freeness of the divine grace and may kindle the fervor of our supplication. That's what it says in Romans 8. The Spirit helps our infirmities, helps our weaknesses. It gives us a deeper sense. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. He joins in our prayer and pours his supplication into ours. And as I studied the thought of prayer and the significance of prayer, which is the meaning of prayer, why we pray to communicate with God, to, sh- to share our inner struggles, to share the heart that we have between us and God, to communicate that. And I just came to the place that said, Lord, I have a deep need in my own life. It's one of those things that I think is a very, a very large element in us that is often neglected, and that is to come to God in fervency of prayer. Maybe for one another. Maybe we, we know the need of our church. There may be certain things going on. As a thought comes to my mind, Something that I went through recently when I'm talking about things in the church and fervency of prayer. And in church life, it often happens. There may be disagreements. There may be something that's going on. There may be something between a brother. Something that we're just not, we just, we can't see our way through. Maybe we communicate with that brother and we're still not through. That happened to me. We communicated 
We discussed it, and it seemed we were just simply were not together. Something was still lacking. And it bothered me. It bothered me. And in my mind, I kept on praying about this thing and said, Lord, what do you want of me? What, what am I to do about this situation? It seems like it's, it's out of our control. And it was. But it wasn't out of God's control. God was still in control. We were working that day. My son and I, we were working in our shop. And I, I found it hard to concentrate on my work. Because it seemed like I was just burdened down with this thing before us. And what do we do with this thing? How does God... How, what is God asking of me? What does God want of me? What does He want of you? If things are between a brother and a brother, or things in the church, or, or, or as whatever it may be, what does God want of you? Finally, the afternoon, I felt overwhelmed. And I left my work in the shop, and I stepped outside and went to this secluded place. And I knelt down. And open my heart to God. And in my heart, I had surrendered. Lord, that will be done. But there was something in my spirit that connected with God. And I committed that thing to God. And I prayed, Lord, it's beyond my control. I have no way of controlling this thing. I have no way. But it seems something is not connecting here. Something is not right. Lord. Can you bring this thing into light? Can you, can you shed your light upon this thing? There was something that connected between me and God there. And in that solitude of prayer, I was communicating with God, my heart, but I had also surrendered, thy will be done. As I prayed there, I felt a sense that God is going to somehow Take care of this matter. I'm not sure how, but God's going to take care of this thing. I get up to go back, get to get back to my work again. I felt somewhat relieved. And then my phone rang. And a brother said, I just had to tell you something. He said, I've been communicating with another brother of the church and he said, all at once these things came to light. And he says, the other brother said, oh. He said, I've never, I didn't realize what was happening. He said, there was some communication, but it seemed we just couldn't come together in this thing. And he said, this brother said, now all at once it becomes more clear. And I said, when was this conversation? He said, about five minutes ago. I said, oh. That was the time I was on my knees praying. Do we thank God for those times? I was on my knees praying and God was answering the prayer while, while I was praying. Can I erase this?
So as we talk about communicating with God, this is something that I think that we need to consider. Now, what would happen here if these two don't connect? If the Spirit of God and the Spirit within us are not connecting, our prayers are ineffective. The Spirit of God and our Spirit will need to connect. If these two connect, then we can pray with a fervent heart. Intensely, actively engaged because our spirit and the spirit of God have connected. We're communicating heart to heart. This is something that's very important as we pray. We talk... We talk about Abraham. Did you know that the Bible says that Abraham was a friend of God? We read that. It actually expresses it in such terms. Abraham was the friend of God. We read it in James. Abraham was a friend of God. It says Moses was a friend of God. We read that in Exodus. It says Daniel was called precious, faithful by God. That's the way God expressed that. If you think about the life of Abraham, you think about the life of Moses, you think about Daniel, all three of those. Actually, the King James Version about Daniel says, greatly beloved. That's what God called Daniel in King James Version. It's found in Daniel 10, 11, greatly beloved. But all three of those men were men that walked and talked with God. All three of those. Abraham was the friend of God. Moses was called the friend and companion of God. And Daniel was greatly beloved. They all had something in common, and they had an intimate relationship with God. They contact the contact. They they walked and talked with God. They were connected. Spending time in God's presence changed them. It made them one with God. If we talk about these spirits, and maybe I should make this just a little bit more clear. But I think we all know the verse that says in John chapter 4, he says this way, God is spirit. 
And those who worship him must worship him in spirit. And what? Truth. So the two must be together. Spirit. They must worship in spirit and in truth. We read much about the life of prayer. Jesus had much about prayer. We read it all through scripture. We read it in the Bible. We read a bit much about that. We read about praying for God's people in Ephesians. We read that. We read in Thessalonians. We read about praying continually. Pray without ceasing. In James it says, is anybody in trouble? Let him pray. In Romans it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. That's Philippians. Clearly, prayer was very important in the day of Jesus. It was his lifeline, his connection to the Heavenly Father. It equipped him for battles he was about to face. And it revealed to him the desire of God's heart. Jesus already knew. But there was a communication there. He went out to the garden numerous times to pray. One night it says he went out all night in the garden and prayed. We talk about fervency of prayer Was there any time in history that we read of more fervent prayer than when Jesus was in the garden praying for God's will to be done? He was ready to make a sacrifice for you and I. That sacrifice was one of the greatest sacrifices ever recorded in history. It wasn't one of them. It was the greatest. Jesus prayed there in the garden... And as you as you read about that, I I love that thought, the fervency of his prayer. The fervency of his prayer. When Jesus prayed there in the garden, he felt the weight. He was going to offer his body, the perfect lamb for sacrifice for your sin. For my sins. He was going to take our sins upon his own body on the trees, what Peter says. The man that knew no sin was going to take my sin upon his shoulders. There in the garden, Jesus prayed. Great fervor. He told his disciples there in the garden, before he went to pray, he said to his disciples, he said, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he says he was withdrawn from them, and we read this in Luke 22. He was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and he prayed. He said, Father... If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. See, he felt, he had feelings. He took on himself flesh and blood. He had feelings. He felt this weight. Is it possible to remove this cup? Nevertheless, not my will. He had surrendered his heart unto God. 
His heart was totally surrendered. He said, not my will, but thine be done. Then, as he prayed that, it says an angel from heaven came. Says, and there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And Jesus, being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly. And his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. That was fervent prayer. He felt that weight. That was fervency of prayer to surrender. He was willing, but the flesh was still weak. That's the way we often find it. Jesus was willing, but the flesh was weak. But there appeared an angel from heaven and strengthened him when he prayed in that fervency. That prayer. Another prayer that Jesus prayed specifically for you and I was there in John 17. He prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Jesus prayed for us there. He prayed for his people. He prayed for his disciples. And he earnestly prayed that he would be none lost. That was the heart of that was the heart of Jesus. None would be lost, but that we could all have eternal life. The love of Jesus. In Romans five, it says it this way: It says, "While we were yet without strength, see, we were living in sin. We were yet without the knowledge of really." Ex- Or having experienced the love of Christ in our hearts. And yet, Christ had already died. Christ gave his life before you and I loved him. He was willing to die. He was willing to die for a sinner. See, if you would have had been converted and you would have already given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, it wouldn't have been hard to die, would it? Because he would have felt your love to him. But he died while we were yet sinners. Without strength. We were still in our bondage. Christ died for us. Such love. It reminds me a little bit. Um, Several years ago. I was involved as part of the uh, ministry. In boys homes. Where these boys were unwanted boys. Some of them were not necessarily all unwanted. We also had a, 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 we had two different places. One was mostly unwanted boys, or those that were had to be put in another home because they were abused and just didn't have any good home. And the other place that we ministered to was in a home where they were too young yet, but came involved in drugs, too young to be put into the main prison. So they were put here to get them off drugs and to teach them responsibility and things in life. We also shared there. So one day, I, while we were sharing with these boys about the love of God, I shared with this young man, I said, We think about Jesus dying for a sinner. While we were yet sinners, Christ's love, such a great love, is almost 
It's hard to comprehend such love. If somebody hates us or is totally outs with us, it's really hard to love that person. It's really hard. But God calls us to, and he loved us. He wants us to be ambassadors in his stead. But I, I shared with this young man, I said, so Christ's love was so great, he died before you ever repented. He wants us to love our fellow man likewise. Well, this boy had related also, he said, here, he said, we get into fights. And he said, we wear shirts according to how we have our conduct. They know by just looking at us if we have been in misconduct or if not, because they had blue shirts, they had orange shirts, they had red shirts. And it sort of, the color of the shirt they wear told, told you how, what kind of conduct they had. They get into a fight and they knock the other person down. It's a good chance that they'll wear a blue shirt. Everybody knows that this person, you need to watch him a little bit closer. So they get into fights. God commanded us to love. Not to hold our own end. He commanded us to love. How do we, how, what, what greater impact do we have on somebody to draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ in pure love? I asked this boy, I said, so to get the meaning of the true love of Jesus and what Jesus really did for us, think about this. Would you be willing to die for anybody that you know? Would you be willing to give your life? That is true love, laying down my life for those that I love. Jesus loved us all. But laying down my life and praying for those that despitefully use us. That boy sat there and he thought for a little bit and he said, I think I would die for my mom. He says, my mom's been very kind to me. But he said, I couldn't die for anybody else. He said, but your mother, the reason you think you could die for her was because she loves you, right? Yes. So if there is, you don't really feel loved, then you wouldn't be willing to give your life. He said, no. He said, but I said, that's what Jesus did. Jesus did that. Jesus gave his life anyhow. Jesus died for us. He gave his life in spite of our sins so that we could be redeemed. It, it was a drawing love. It was a drawing love there. That was the heart of God. That was his prayer for oneness. We think about many thoughts about prayer, about prayer life. And as I, and as I think about these things, I have often wondered, so if we talk about prayer, the significance of prayer, the meaning of prayer, what it does for us, what Christ, what, what Christ was, his, his life was also a life of prayer, communication with God, that connection there. How do we teach our young children? How do we teach our young children? If there's, if there's a struggle going on, there's a time for quiet, solitude prayer, just going in our closet and praying. 
But there is also a time for our young children to recognize the power of prayer and that we are praying people. I would like to read a little bit of an account in Second Chronicles. I have to see for sure. I think it's chapter 20. It's in chapter 20. Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, he was in trouble. There was another army coming up there, and he was in trouble. And it says in verse 3 of chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, it says in chapter 3 that Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. He proclaimed the fast throughout all. That would have been through all his province. He proclaimed the fast. And Jehoshaphat stood at the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heaven? And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as a sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house. And we cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And he brought this before the Lord, what was happening. But if we go on to verse 13, I would like to just just think about that. In verse 13 of this chapter, it says, And all Judas did before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, their children. They brought their children along. Their children learned prayer. They were there too. Their wives were there. Their children were there. They learned prayer. And look at what happened. God was ready to work a mighty work that God was seeing how powerful God really is. In verse 15 it says that One of the men stood up and he said, Hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God. And what else can we expect today? The battle is not ours. It's the Lord's battle. I just read a little article here just recently, and it was really an inspiration to me, and it really struck me. People think about... The election coming up. People think about the president. 
this president, that president. They think about the coronavirus. They think about, yeah, this COVID thing and everything that's happening around us. The fear. People have got such fear in their hearts. And people are thinking, if I would vote for this president, well, I will vote for that president, or if I would do this, or if I'd have a friend that would be high in politics, we could sort of work together, we could make a change in the nation. All this gets their focus away from God. God is the one there in Romans 12, it says, 13. Romans 13, it says, God is the one that turns the hearts of the kings, whithersoever he wants. What can you and I do in this world except proclaim the gospel and go on our knees and pray? There's nothing else that we can really do to make a significant difference. But we get our focus off of God. We get it on our surroundings. We get it, our focus. If we start focusing on the things of this earth and the things around us, and we lose our focus of God, that's what, that's what the Satan wants. That's what the evil one wants. He wants to distract us. He wants to get our focus somewhere else. I said, yes. That's exactly what happens. We get our focus on something else instead of God. I heard this, I heard this, um, Benji Grant. A lot of them may know, may know Benji Grant from Allen County. He told me this, he actually shared it in Ohio, I happened to be there, and he shared it this way. He said, he shared with one man, this man said, so you trust in God, and you, pr- you, you pray, and you think that God answers prayer? I said, I do. He said, you say you're non-resistant? I do. He said, so what would happen if somebody would come into your house to molest one of your daughters kidnap them or whatever, or, you know, do violence to your family. Wouldn't you defend your family? What would you do? Would you defend your family? Where, how would you defend them? You take a gun, get rid of them. You would also have violence. Do you think I can do anything to control that matter? What strength do I have of my own? He said, I just told that man I would be on my knees. I would be on my knees praying. God created the whole universe with only a word. He took his own hands to form you and I. But everything else that we see, God said the word and it was so. So if I come into fervent prayer with God, that is the greatest strength I have. Because God is the God Almighty is power and strength and majesty. He has got the strength and the power to save What power do I have? The power of prayer. That really stuck to me. God who creates all this universe with a word. And I would think that I could protect my family with violence or in other other means except prayer. 
That really stuck out. It really stuck to me. Here, we read about this. It says, the battle, here in verse 15, it says, the battle is not yours, but it is God's battle. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. But see, they had already been seeking the Lord. They proclaimed the fast. They were earnestly seeking. They were praying. They had their wives along. They had their young children along. They were praying. They were seeking God. That was their strength. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose up, they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. And to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Now think about this. If you are confronted with the enemy, somebody's about to get the best of you, or somebody's going to overthrow your house or your family or whatever it may be, would you have, would you portray such a trust and a confidence in God that you, you would be there praising God? Here he said he, he appointed singers that should praise God. The beauty of holiness. They should be praising God for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. The Lord fought for them. Why do you think the Lord fought? Was Jehoshaphat worth more than other people or was it of his own merits? It was because of prayer. It was because of praise. That's what it says. They praised God and they they were all together praying to God for deliverance. Their wives, their children, their little ones, everybody was there. They were all with one heart seeking God. If we are not one heart in seeking the Lord, did you know that the Bible says that it hinders our prayers? I like to take this just a little bit further than just what it says there in Peter, where Peter talks about husband and wife. And he talks about the husband and wife, and he says it this way. He says that the husband should love his wife as a weaker vessel, and they should be joint heirs together. Joined heirs together. Why? It says so your prayers are not hindered. There's a, there's a bond and a relationship between husband and wife. The husband reverences 
Well, the wife reverences the husband, but the husband loves the wife as a weaker vessel, as joint heirs together. So your prayers are not hindered. See, if they're joint heirs together, we're together in one heart, in one mind. What power, what strength as a body. The power of prayer, how much is it neglected today? So we also, we, we see what happened here when this great army came. God fought for them. God, God took care of that army. They never even raised a sword or spear. But it was the power of prayer, singing, praising God. So we now have another example of that. That very same thing happened in Acts. What happened there when Paul and Silas were in prison? If you would be in the dungeons, and a lot of those dungeons are quite dark and dreary. They were in stocks. And if you're in stocks, you're sitting in an awkward position with your feet out straight out front. Your hands and your feet straight out front, like sitting on the floor. They're just straight out front. Oftentimes, that's the way it was, with their hands fastened, things fastened around their wrists and around their feet. There they sat. They couldn't lie down. They couldn't. They were basically that's just their position. So here they sat in the dungeon, in the stocks. And Paul and Silas, what did they do? Do we have some young children here that could answer that question? What did Paul and Silas do when they were in prison? When they were in stocks, somebody here answer? Somebody know? What happened? Don't be afraid to answer. They prayed and sang. Thank you. They prayed and sang. It says when they prayed and sang, the prison doors were rent. Things opened up. But what happened out of that? There was also a conversion that took place in that. The jailer became converted through that. What would have happened if Paul and Silas were there in prison? What would have happened if they would have sat there and said, mm, it's awful. It's just awful. I can't, can't believe this happened to us. I'm wondering, I just can't believe it. Why would God even allow this to happen? What's going to happen with the brethren that we left? Who's going to pastor the church? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And they sat there and they think about their troubles and they think about it. And finally they just sort of, huh, life is so bleak, it's so dreary. Do you think there would have been victory? No. I don't, I don't believe it. They did not let themselves become discouraged. They were not discouraged at all. They knew they had a God that was greater than they were. And here they sat in the dungeon singing praises and praying unto the Lord. God heard that prayer. He rent the prison doors. It were open and the jailer was converted. And it, not only the jailer, it says his whole house. The power of prayer. And not only just prayer, but praise. Adoration to our God. How much do we lack in that? There's another account that comes to my mind. 
we read about Peter. Peter was put in prison. What did the church do when Peter was put in prison? What happened to the church? What did they do? Did they go on about their work and just went on a day after day the same that was before? And they said, hmm, I wonder what's happening with Peter today. Peter's in prison. I wonder what he's doing there. I wonder what's happening. I wonder what they're going to do with him. Are they going to put him to death? Are they going to, what are they going to do with Peter? But they go on their work and just go on. It says the congregation, the whole church was together praying for who? Peter, the whole church, the whole congregation was together praying. Now, Scripture doesn't bear this out, but in my thoughts, I assume they were probably praying for the steadfastness of Peter while he was in prison, that he would not succumb to discouragement or self-pity or, yeah, he, he could have easily become discouraged. That's... In my thought, I've always thought that's possibly what they were praying for because while they were praying, an angel came to the prison door and he knocked Peter on his side. and says, Arise, Peter, and come. And as they went, the prison doors opened. And Peter walked out the outside. He says, Lord. And he made his way to where he fared he knew that he would probably probably find the brethren praying. He went to, I'm not reading it. I'm just giving it from what I remember. It wasn't the house of Mary that he went to. But as he went and he knocked at the door, nobody answered. He knocked again and then a damsel came to the door. She didn't even let him in right away. She ran back inside and said, Look, Peter's out of prison. And nobody believed her. Do you see the picture of us today? Nobody believed that God would work such a miracle. George Mueller had a quote in this. George Mueller said, One of the greatest weaknesses of our prayer is we do not believe that God will actually bless us of what we're praying for. Unbelief. So it says they didn't even believe this damsel. She said, yes. And Peter kept on knocking at the door. And they went and looked. And behold, Peter was there. Think about the joy. Peter was there. That's why I thought possibly they were praying for steadfastness instead of praying for the release of Peter. Because when Peter was released, they didn't even believe it. But the marvelous power of God through prayer. He did even more than what they anticipated. He will do it for us today. I encourage you all. That is one of our greatest parts that we are lacking in our congregations today. Is fervent, earnest prayer for each other. Even for our children growing up. What are we teaching our children? Do we teach them the power of prayer? Even in simple matters. 
just recently, I thought about that back home. just happened a week ago. We had some poisonous mushrooms in our pasture, and we've got goats. And somehow these goats were getting hold of these poisonous mushrooms, and they were eating them, and it killed them. One, one week, less than a week later, another one, another one, another one. I lost all but one of my goats. And I was just, whew, this is like Job. I had to think about that. said, Lord, what are you trying to teach me in this? We had the extension agent out to walk through the pasture and see what she can find and see if we can somehow get behind this. All the same thoughts, possibly the mushrooms, all we could find. We checked the goats. There was not parasites or things like that. It seemed the goats were healthy. And when they died, when you knew they were sick, they were dead in about two or three hours. That's how quick it worked. Really, really, really quick. Okay, so I talk with some from the other church there. Harmony Church, I talked with some of the, one of the brothers there has got goats and said, I would sort of like to, I've got one left and it's, we've kept it for several weeks now. We're trying to get rid of the mushrooms, walking through the pasture, getting rid of these things. So I got this little goat. He said, I've got one. It's just a young one. He said, I haven't bottle fed it. It's not as tame as some, but he said, it's, it's reasonable. So we brought that little goat home. Well, guess what? The next morning, our sons go out to feed this little goat. They gave him some grain, and they had it was still dark. They never thought about it. But this goat was apparently spooked about this little light on their heads and this little light coming through the dark there. And, and they came out, and the other little goat comes up for feed, and they, they try to get this little goat. And instead of it runs off to the other side of the pasture, and, and they never gave it a thought. In the dark there, they go after this little goat, and this little goat says, whew, this is, this is no good. I'm going to get rid of this thing. It shoop, over the fence it went, and it off it went. We thought we could maybe get it back up to the others, but it was spooked. It went off, and, and I said, well, wait till it gets daylight. We'll, we'll work with this little goat. Well, that thing went over to about a quarter mile away from us, a neighbor's place, and he calls the little goats over here, and I said, are you, he said, are you losing one? I said, yeah, I've just got a new one, and it just left. He said, what's over here in my backyard? Well, we went over there, but that thing was so spooked, we couldn't get even anywhere close to it. And it left, went to the woods, and we didn't see it. I called this brother, and I said, that little goat we bought from me, I said, I don't know, it, it left. It's gone. We can't even find it. That was actually a Sunday morning, and we didn't see that little goat till Monday night. All at once, one of the neighbors calls and said, are you missing a goat? Yeah. He said, what's over here? Here it come out of the woods again. And we went to get that little goat, and it was still just as wild as could be. It went back in the woods, and it was gone. So, okay. So, we're not going to chase it. We're just going to leave it. The next forenoon, actually, to, to, to make this a little bit clearer, we prayed about it. This little goat. It seems like God has took so many of our goats. And so we buy a new one. And here this little goat just whoop, it goes and it runs off and it's gone. And here I pay for it and never had it more than overnight. And then I find out that brother told me. He said, 
I told my sons about it. And their sons are like, I don't know, anywhere from five up to, what are they, nine or ten. And he said, they said, well, that little goat was so nice. I just can't believe it. That little goat just run off like that. Daddy, may we pray about it? He said, sure, let's pray about it. That Eli would get his goat back. He's lost so many. Now, this one ran off. And it may just, you know, we can't get it back. So they prayed about it. You know what? At forenoon, my daughter comes out and says, this little goat's out there outside the fence. Outside the fence, but with the rest of them. Really? It's probably pretty wild. I said, maybe being this daylight, I can give it some feed. So we went out, tried to give it a little bit of feed, and this little goat was a little bit leery at first, but the other goats were all around there crowding around for their grain, and well, it wanted some too. It actually ate a little bit off my hand, but it was real leery about me. So I turned around and walked back. I said, I might get a little bit more grain, and maybe if I would take the others around the fence, we could bring it around to the gate. And lure it in that way because it sort of follows the others. But when the others all left the fence, crowding after me for more grain, that little thing just in over the fence. It comes inside. Never hit the fence. Here it comes. And that little thing has been fairly tame ever since. It hasn't tried to get out. It's not wild. And I called this brother and he said, you know what? We've been praying for that. He said, we need to tell our children that. We prayed, and God answered prayers. We didn't even have to chase that goat back in. God put it back in. It hasn't got out since. Do we teach our children prayer, even in simple things? To me, it was just another lesson. God answers prayers even in, even in simple things. That our children know the power of prayer. And what it does. Children need to learn the power of prayer. We've got a children's home. Close there. And it grieves my heart. Over this COVID. We can't even visit that children's home. There's children there. Unwanted children. There's again. This is not from years ago. Where I had been earlier. This is another one we're talking about. Those children just love if we bring in a meal for them and help them play a little bit. They have no connection with parents or anything like that, just like house parents. It's all they see. Now, with this COVID, they're shut down. They can't do anything. There's not even, they're not even allowed to have a pastor come in and have church for these children, nothing. They're just like just shut down. And it's been that way all summer long. We were back and forth with that. So that children's home is strictly on donations. They are not on the government handouts. They are not there for the sake of taking in from the government to supply their needs. They go by donations. And so that's one way we can make a difference is taking meals into them, helping the children, playing with them, just having social time with the children. And they love it. They know us for that. So this lady says, They try to teach the children there at the home the power of prayer. So even the funds that come in to run the home are donations, right? The food is donated. The money is donated. 
So here we come and we're running low on food. Food is almost gone. Well, should we take out of our meager funds and go buy potatoes and things for the children? What should we do? She said, it just struck me that we need to teach the children the power of prayer. Wouldn't it be great things are our funds are not all that great. Everything is donation. They strictly operate off of donations and teach the children the power of prayer. If we would all together come together, young children and all the house parents, we would all gather together and we would pray that God would send potatoes. So we would have potatoes tomorrow because we're out. Do you think God would do that? Do you believe God would? She said, we decided that's one way we can teach the children the power of prayer because we believe God does. She's, and she's a firm believer in that. She said, we all gathered together. We prayed for potatoes because we were out. Guess what? In another town away from there, there was a lady in the shopping mall shopping. And the potatoes were on sale and she got one for herself. And something prompted her and said, buy more potatoes. Buy more potatoes. She said, but I don't need them. And there was something there that said, buy more potatoes. And finally she said, she did, but she said, I don't know what to do with these potatoes. And she said, somebody said, take them to the children's home in Wilkesboro. She said, I don't know that home. I never heard of it. She said, but she was prompted to take it to the children's home in Wilkesboro. And so she got directions. She said, I've never been there. I don't know where it's at. It's a ways from me. And she took those potatoes and took them to the children's home. They arrived that night. The children had been praying for potatoes. This lady didn't know anything about the situation. By the next day, a whole truckload of potatoes came in, donated. The power of prayer. Do our children know about the power of prayer? Have we taught them well? I know I can speak for myself. I have often neglected that part of teaching our children the power of, the power of prayer. But do you know what? When we go back, even in the children of Israel, they already knew about teaching their children. Moses said in Deuteronomy, he said, teach them when you rise up, when you go out, when you come in. It's continually teaching our children. Have we taught our children well? What will the next generation be like? Will they know the power of prayer? Will they know what God has really done for us? In, in the time of, of Joshua, when they went over Jordan, it's marvelous to think about that because think about this. Jordan was in all its flow. It was overflowing. It wasn't overflowing, but it was in, over all its banks. It says the river was deep. It was over all its banks. So it was high. It was floodwaters. And God commanded the priests to walk down and the water did not part until their foot soles touched the water. Now think about that. The faith that these priests had to walk down Till their feet touched the water before this flood water parted this great river. And they walked through in dry ground. What did they do on the other side? Joshua said to take 12 stones from each tribe of Israel, set them up as stone heaps. So in the days to come, in the years to come, when your children say, Daddy, 
What do these stones mean? You shall tell your children the miracle that God performed. Right? Back in those days, it was important to teach the children. Is it any less today? I don't think so. It is still so important. Have we as adults become calloused and lukewarm in our walk? Have we realized if you children think about your daddy, your mama, what do you do if you're hungry? You might ask mama, may I have an apple? Mama, may I have a piece of bread? You might ask mom or daddy, I'm hungry, I I want something, I need something. Do you think mama's just going to give you a rock? Do you children think that if you would ask for a piece of bread that your daddy would just give you a rock instead? Did you know that Jesus actually said that in the Bible? We would think that. But who would think that his children would ask his father for bread and he would give him a stone or a serpent or something like that? Jesus said that. He said, we love our children. Therefore, we give our children what they desire. We give them bread. We don't give them a rock when they ask for bread or a snake or We give them what they desire to feed their hunger. And in Luke, he says it this way. Jesus said it specifically in Luke chapter 11. He said, and how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? Have we asked for the Holy Spirit? Have you? How much more? Shall our Heavenly Father give us that? He desires the best for us. And He wants us to ask. See, He loves communication with His children. God loves communication. He wants us to communicate. Doesn't He know my needs before I ask? Of course He does. But He wants that relationship. Do you ever think, we as husbands and wives, do you ever think that there would be any relationship between us In any sort or amongst any of us. Do you have friends? Children, do you have friends? Do you think that if you would not communicate with your friend, there would be any ongoing relationship or it would grow? Of course it wouldn't. Our relationships with the Heavenly Father grow as we communicate with Him. It deepens our love. It it broadens our views of who He is as we communicate and interact. In the spirit. Fervency of heart, it connects. Relationships don't grow if we don't communicate. If there's no communication, it just sort of fades out. After a while, it's forgotten. That's the way it is. We need this. In, in, In John, Jesus said that I am the vine... Ye are the branches. He says, we will bear no fruit unless we are found in him. That vital communion, just we need to be in Christ. There's communion there. What is communion? Is that going my own way, not caring about you? Is communion going my own way, not caring about any of you? 
I don't care about you. I'm just going to do my own thing. That's not communion. This vital communion is connection. There's a walk of life. He's a part of my life. He's the center of it. That vital, vital communion. Jesus said in John there, he said, without me, you can't do anything. It's a vital part of our life. How often do we as Christians find that prayer is the last thing we resort to instead of the first? Does that sound familiar? Do we, have we ever experienced that? I have. We have gone through some things and all once we realize we have missed the most important element. That was prayer. We gravely underestimate prayer and its significance and its power. And in so doing, we are robbed of the joy that God intended for us to experience through prayer. We underestimate the power of prayer. And it, yeah, and we are robbed of the joy that God intended for us to have through the experience of prayer. George Mueller was a man of prayer. He, he was one that would not borrow money for the children's home. Years ago in the 1800s, many, maybe some of you know about the story of George Mueller. He prayed. And if he, if there was not sufficient funds, he would not move forward until God supplied the funds and the needs. He always prayed. And he was a man of prayer. He would do nothing without praying first. And it says that when George Mueller was, when he prayed about something, seeking God's will, he prayed about it. And when he prayed about it several times and was convinced that this is the heart of God, this is what God wants, he would continue to pray believing that God would impart that blessing. He did not quit until God imparted the blessing. He was so constant in prayer that it says that he loved the souls of men. He knew that Jesus Christ said that he loves all men and that his will is that none would be lost. George Mueller said that he knew of a man that he desired to be saved and he, he was confident that God would change that man's heart. I'm just going what I've read. But it says that George Mueller prayed for that man 63 years. And the man was unconverted when George died. But the interesting part is, he said only several weeks after George died, this man became converted and had such a conversion that people knew something changed. George prayed 63 years for this man. Think about that. He was a man of prayer. This is not back in Bible times before Christ or right in the disciples' times. This has been in the 1800s. This is more recent. Even the Wilkesboro Children's Home I just told you about. This is recent. God still answers prayer. He's the same God that Abraham served. We still save the same God. Moses, Daniel. When Daniel was in the lion's den, what happened? Did the lions devour him? No. It says Daniel prayed three times a day. Opened the windows and prayed. 
And this is another thing I want to mention in this. This is something that I have been pondering over, and I've heard it. It's probably been two years ago. And I've heard it, and I've pondered over this thing, and I've found it to be true. So we can pray in our minds. We can just pray a quiet prayer. We can close our eyes. We can maybe pray a quiet prayer. We can sort of communicate with God. But did you know that verbal expression leaves impression? It really does. Verbal expression leaves impression. So if you communicate with God verbally, go on a walk out somewhere. Just go on a walk or somewhere where you're not, not distracted and just talk out loud between you and God. And there's something about that. It, it leaves an impression in your mind. Verbal expression leaves impression. It's very true. It works that way. A friend of mine told me that, and he said he's found that so an inspiration. I have found the very same thing. Verbal expression leaves impression. And I have discovered that if I have problem in concentrating on prayer, just silent prayer, and my mind just wanders here and it wanders there and, and different thoughts flit through my mind and Satan is trying to distract me, a verbal prayer seems to even help to take care of some of that. A verbal expression is somehow something that is very connective. It leaves impression. I've found that. Try it. Verbal expression leaves impression. Communicate with God in just heart-to-heart level. Just voice it. Very beneficial. George Mueller said it this way, The vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thought. Just say that again. The vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thought. So what are we holding in our minds? What do we think about God when we think about prayer? And we think, you know what, this is interesting. It was brought to my attention. Brother Irvin brought that to us, and I have not forgotten that part. Why? Do you read that the children of Israel, when they walked through the wilderness, time and time and again, they fell. They fell. You read about it. In Psalms 106, 107, you read about this, how they fell. God brought them down low, and then they cried unto the Lord, and he brought them back out, and set their feet on solid ground again, and, and then they went back down, they came back low. Why? Do you know why? Why did the children of Israel, why did they falter like that? Psalms 106 says it this way. They forgot how God had delivered them earlier. We are forgetful hearers, aren't we? We forget the deliverance that God gave. God has so miraculously brought these children of Israel through the Red Sea, destroyed all their enemies. If you have entered the kingdom, 
If you have gone through the new birth, you have experienced forgiveness in Christ. That's one of the most miraculous parts that God could do. The love of God would forgive a sinner like me. Do we forget that? The greatness of our God? Do we forget how he delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh? Went through the Red Sea. He provided manna in the wilderness where there was no bread. Do we, do we remember all these things? But it says in 106, it, it's just about two or three places in there, it says they forgot the wonders of God. And then they fell. I think that's us. That's us today. They forgot God's wonders. They forgot the goodness of God. And they fell because they forgot. That's why we come together. We need to encourage each other. We need to pray for each other. We need to strengthen each other in our faith. We need that. We don't want individualism. We want togetherness. Christ prayed for his disciples. He said that they would be one as you and I are one. Father. He was talking to the Father. God prayed for that. He wants that heart in us. We need each other that we would be one. We can be joined heirs together and that our prayers are not hindered. So, what would hinder our prayers? We think much about these things. We think much of what the Bible speaks. And there's, uh, I just want to bring some accounts out to you that the Bible talks about prayers of people that believe God and how he answered. So in the back of my Bible, I've got this. And I'll just give a brief, a brief, how would you say, a brief extract of this. Moses. When he brought water out of the rock, he delivered the people. He, he had a direct relationship with God. He talked, walked and talked with God a lot. Gideon. What happened to Gideon? When Gideon prayed and he asked God to reveal, will you give the enemies into my hand? Am I supposed to be the deliverer for Israel? He said, here is this fleece. Let it be dry all around this fleece and wet on the fleece. That dew would be everywhere else, but this fleece is still dry. Or vice versa, the next time he prayed the other way and God always did what he prayed. Gideon was a man after God's heart. Hannah, when she prayed for Samuel, was she in fervent prayer? When Hannah prayed for her womb was shut up. She did not have a child. And in, that, in those days, if a woman did not have a child, it was like a reproach. It was a reproach. And here she was in the temple praying that the priest Eli said, she's drunk. She's drunk. Her lips were moving, but she was like, she was in deep, fervent prayer to God. God Eli thought she was drunk. She was praying for a child. God answered that prayer. Gave Hannah a child. What did Hannah do with that child? What did Hannah do with the child? Hannah said, for this child I prayed. That's what Hannah said. And the Lord hath given me my petition, which I ask of him. 
And she gave him back to the Lord. She dedicated Samuel back to the Lord. Samuel, he prayed. Solomon, he prayed for the dedication of the temple. He prayed not for greatness. The Lord said, and the Lord said unto Solomon, I have heard thy prayer and the supplication that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed this house which thou hast built to put my name there forever. And mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. But Solomon also prayed that he would have what? He would have that wisdom of God. He didn't pray for a lot of money and a lot of, you know, our earthly thoughts and cares. He didn't pray for that. He was concerned about God's kingdom. Elijah, we pray, who prayed, the heavens were shut up. It didn't rain for three years. James said that we are like passions, of like passions. Elijah was of like passions as we are. So do you think that Elijah didn't have feelings like we? Do you think he was a man like you and I? I think he was. Elijah was a man as you and I, yet he believed in God. He had great faith. And he prayed, and the heavens were shut up for three years. And he prayed again, and God gave rain. Hezekiah. This is something that I like. The enemy was coming. Now, we may not be confronted with a great army coming in to take us over, but maybe we are, because it says that we are confronted with a warfare in our life. This warfare is going on. It's very real. This is not something that's just fake. This is our warfare is reality. So we are on a battle, right? We are all on a battle. If we are on on the pilgrimage and the journey towards that heavenly Canaan land, we are all on a battle against the evil one. We all struggle with those things. Here Hezekiah there's a guy, there's a man was sent out against Hezekiah and he blasphemed God. He said, the God that you trust in, can you, does that God do you any good? That God doesn't do you any good. Can you tell me of a time that God helped you? You tell your people that pray to God and God will help. But do you believe God helped? You read that in 2 Kings 18, 19, somewhere in that, in 2 Kings, you read about that. What did Hezekiah do? He got that letter. And they were putting God down. They were actually degrading God and talking about against God. He went up into the upper room. He opened that letter up and laid it out before the Lord and he prayed. It says Hezekiah prayed. There again. God moved miraculously. God moved so miraculously. There was a battle won where Hezekiah never fought except by prayer. The next time Hezekiah prayed, because he was Isaiah, prophet Isaiah came and said, You shall die. And I and Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord. And then the sundial went back ten degrees. Something never happened before or since. Ezra fasted and bemoaned the sins of the people. 
He fasted and bemoaned the sins of the people. He said, we have sinned. We and our little ones, we have sinned. We have transgressed the law of God. And he prayed and he encouraged the people to turn their hearts back. And it says, Nehemiah, when he was, Ezra built back some of Jerusalem there, but Hezek, Nehemiah, get my name straight. Nehemiah there, he built the walls around that. And after they were built, it says there that they found the book of the law of the Lord. And Ezra opened that book and read to the people. It says he stood behind the pulpit and he read to the people of the law of the Lord. And he says he gave the sense thereof. He explained what it meant. And the people wept because he said, we have failed. We have not done this. What did he tell them to do? Just keep on weeping. Yeah, I know you've sinned. Mm-hmm. It's just what you get. No. He said, don't weep. Today the salvation of the Lord is here. He said, rejoice. For the joy of the Lord shall be your strength. And the people went forth rejoicing. So, there may also be causes of prayers unanswered. We read of those in Scripture too. Beware of what's in your life. Because in Isaiah, he says it this way, when iniquity is regarded in your heart, Psalm says it too. David said it. When you regard iniquity in your heart, God does not hear prayer. If you regard iniquity in your heart. That's serious. Stubbornness. Instability. Self-indulgence. James said that why aren't our prayers answered? Why aren't our prayers answered? He says because we want to consume it upon our lusts. Just my way. So think about this. So we've got instruction on that too. Isaiah 58, the prophet, talks about this. And the people were fasting and praying and they were wanting my way. God said, not so. Release these heavy burdens that you are putting upon the people. You're requesting that these people are doing something that maybe you're not even doing yourself. You're inflicting a heavy burden upon him and said, undo the heavy yokes and release these burdens that you're inflicting upon the people. What do you think? What do you think? What is God looking for in your life and my life? Hmm. I know that this brother over here, he treated me wrong last week. I know he did. And, I, and unless he repents, I'm going to hold him accountable to that. I'm not going to forgive him. I'm going to, we're at outs until he forgives, right? He's going to pay for what he did last week. And he says, no. He says, I don't feel like I've been guilty like you said I have. And you said, yes. I prayed to the Lord about it. And I think that you're guilty and you're going to pay for it. Those are heavy burdens that we are inflicting. Those are the yokes. If we can't forgive, we are the ones that are kept in bondage. We are the ones that are still tied. We hurt ourselves worse than we hurt the other. Let us undo those. Let's have love. Let's have forbearance. Can we come to our brother 
with meekness, with humility? Can we come to our sisters? What have you done? What have I done? Is there something we can do to restore peace? Can we pray together? What is the heart? What is the heart of God's people? What was the heart of Jesus when he was here? But see, we, we are so intent upon my way, it's so hard for us to release that to surrender to God's will. It is so hard. And then we think, well, I have got enough merits of my own, even if, I, even if it's not between a brother and I. I pray to God and I say, I have done enough righteousness. I have got enough merits that God will surely answer my prayers. I've done so much good. That's how the Pharisee and the publican were. He prayed to God and he said, I thank God that I'm not like these other people. I thank God for this and I thank God for that. And I thank God that I'm not like this publican. He thought he had a lot of righteousness. The publican saw his need. He smote on his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which, which one went out justified before the Lord? The last, not the first. That's what Jesus said. The first was trying. And you remember? When the disciples went out, when Jesus sent them out, they came back and said, Lord, even the demons are listen to us. We can drive out demons too. What did the Lord say? He says, do not rejoice because the demons are subject to you. Rather rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That was Jesus' words. See, it's not focused on what I can do. It's focused on what Christ has done and that our names are written in heaven. We love him because he first loved us, right? So many times we think our prayers should be answered because of the good that I've done. That's not the case. I see time is, time is just going on. I don't know what time that you're used to quitting here, but my heart was today. We could somehow share in a way that you would all be encouraged to pray. My study on prayer is not even complete yet. When I started on that study, the significance of prayer and what it does and what God is looking for, it goes so far and goes so deep. I'm not done yet. I never realized the study of prayer to have the depth and go as far as it did. I'm still not done. I'm still looking at different areas, different aspects of life and what prayer does. And what hinders our prayers? What hinders our prayers from being effective? It may be of sin in our life. It may be of something between a brother. Something that is not, we're just not quite willing to surrender. That hinders our prayers. But Peter said, even between husband and wife, that we are joint heirs together. Our prayers are not hindered. We work together. We work together. So our prayers are not hindered. Prayer is so an essential part of the Christian life. Prayer is such an essential part of the Christian life. And I have neglected it so far. So much. My prayer is, Lord, like the disciples said, teach us to pray and God will. He will deepen that in us, that desire. 
George Mueller said it this way. The less we read the Bible, the less we desire to read the Bible. The less we pray, the less we desire to pray. But the more we read the Bible, the more we want to read more to learn more. The more we pray, the more we desire to even pray more to deepen our relationships. It's the way it goes. They say the dog that gets fed is the one that wins. The dog that doesn't get fed will die, right? Same with us. If we feed the Spirit, we shall grow. If we neglect to read God's Word, which is the food of life, we neglect God's Word and we forget to pray or we're too busy in life. Martin Luther said it this way. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, we think we're way too busy in life to spend a lot of time in prayer. He said, but I have found it this way, that I life has got way too much involved to not spend the first three hours of every day in prayer. Think about that. We think we're too busy. He said life has got too much to not pray. That was Martin Luther. That was a quote. Where are we today? God still loves a, a prayer of a sincere, genuine heart where our spirit the spirit and our spirit, spirit of God and our spirit, they connect. God wants that. That's the fervent heart that prays. The fervent heart that prays. We read that throughout Scripture. Men of prayer, their walk with God. They were blessed. May we be found as such. I don't know that I want to take up a lot of time here yet. I've, there's still a lot. I've, I've written down a lot of, on my studies. Only a portion has been shared. There's still so much. Take time to search it out. Read the scriptures. Bereans did that in Acts. It says they studied the scriptures to see if what was brought forth was the word of God. Study it out. Look for yourself. I want to encourage you. I have been blessed to be here today. Amongst you, I was inspired by the devotional, the song service this morning. If you come our way, stop in and see us. We're just a small group, only a few families. Stop in and see us. We invite you to do that. May the Lord further bless us and grant you all the peace that comes from knowing God.